Hosea chapter 4, God willing, will be expounding verses 13 and 14 this morning. I, I really enjoyed uh, studying for this message. In the previous verses uh, last week, we learned about the devastating effects of what God called whoredom in wine. Whoredom in wine. The true whoredom, of course, was that Israel was guilty of spiritual whoredom. Okay? Spiritual whoredom. Instead of being in love with their God, they were in love with the false gods of the nations around them. And the true intoxication that they were guilty of was not so much alcohol as it was instead of uh, being under the influence of God's Holy Spirit, they were under the influence of the demonic spirits and the, the false thinking of the world around them as people are today. They were intoxicated spiritually. We were meant to, to, to walk in the Spirit, not according to the thinking of this fallen world. Whoredom, therefore, is when you reject God's truth. Wine, therefore, is when you accept the devil's lies. That's what Israel was guilty of. That's what America is guilty of. And the following verses show us what a deceived nation looks like when it's taken part in this spiritual whoredom and wine. Let's take a look now at what the Lord told them in verse 13. I believe you will find what God told Israel strikingly similar to where we are today. He said they sacrifice on, upon the tops of the mountains. They sacrifice upon the tops of the mountains. And you know, if you were to just casually read this verse, if you were to just open the Bible up and say, so, you know, like they used to do back in the olden days, which was really, really dumb, they would say, well, we'll just take the Bible, we'll open up, put our finger down, we'll start reading, that's where the Lord wants us to do our devotions at. Man, that's just as dumb as the falling sticks, okay? But that's what they used to do back in the olden days. And if you were to just open up like that and just casually read the Bible like that, and you were to say, you were to read where God said they sacrifice upon the tops of the mountains, you would think, oh, well, how wonderful. They're, they're sacrificing on the tops of the mountains. How spiritual these people were. You might get the wrong idea about Israel. You, you might think that, uh, well, Brother Richard, these people are sacrificing on the mountains. They must have been very dedicated in religious people. I mean, they climb up all that way. You've got to be serious to walk up a mountain to do your religious sacrifices. And up on the mountain, uh, you know, you can get closer to God the higher up you go. You know, that's the way people think. And they go up that mountain, they must have been very devout followers of God. So at first appearance, these people probably looked like godly people. And I'm sure they imagine themselves to be the same way, don't you? In the same way, there are a lot of people today in this world. I'm going to get me a little something to clip. That is not working. It has been working, but now some, for some reason it's getting caught up here. And I feel like my neck is bound up, but I can move it. I, I can move it. I'll just keep it like that for a while. But in the same way, there are a lot of people in the world today that also appear to be very devout Christians, devout people of God. God said they sacrifice on the top of the mountains. Look back in your text. And burn incense upon the hills. And burn incense upon the hills. 
Now, if you'll notice, and, and, and we did not get as far as I would have liked to this morning in our Genesis to Jesus class next door, but we started teaching about the tabernacle. And if you'll notice, if you're familiar with the tabernacle, you will notice that two of these things here are the two most um, main things, if you would, the, the, the two most common things about the sanctuary worship. Sacrifice and incense. Do you notice that? The two main things that occurred at the tabernacle, the tabernacle had two altars. It had the brazen altar on the outside. It had the golden altar on the inside. The brazen altar where the sacrifices were offered. The golden altar where the incense was burnt. And the two things that God's showing them here is what? Sacrificing and burning incense. The same things they had going on in that tabernacle. Both the brazen altar and the golden altar in God's tabernacle had one thing in common. The blood from the sacrifice and the sweet smoke from the incense all made their way into the most holy place where the mercy seat was, where God's presence dwelt deep inside the tabernacle. Let me repeat that again. For the purpose of worship, forgiveness, and praise, God's presence dwelt deep inside the tabernacle. And the tabernacle, which at the time of this writing was now located in Jerusalem in the form of a permanent temple, a temple that was made of stone, wood, and precious metals, wasn't on that mountain. So God was in the temple, and this huge temple was a permanent structure, and it wasn't going up any mountain. It wasn't traveling up any hills. So when these Israelites should have been headed up to Jerusalem, they were instead heading up the hills and mountains. They were sacrificing on the mountain, but there was no mercy seat for the blood to be placed upon. They were burning incense... But the veil of the temple was not there for the smoke to seep through to reach the most holy place. So they had a worship service. But God wasn't there. They made a sweet smell. God didn't smell it. You know, there are two types of churches that I believe are being represented here in our text today. Two types of churches... I'm sure you've all heard. How many of y'all have heard of Church on the Rock? How many of y'all have heard of Church on the Go? Yeah. Jenny's husband is in Church on the Go. Jenny. Y'all have heard of Church on the Move? I have. Well, church, welcome to Church on the Mountain. This is what we're looking at here in our text today. Church on the Mountain. At Church on the Mountain... You can have a mountaintop experience without a divine presence. You see that? They're up here on the mountain. They're offering their sacrifices. 
They feel they're closer to God than the people below them. But there's no mercy seat on the mountain. That's down there in Jerusalem, inside that temple. Church on the mountain, a mountaintop experience without a divine presence. Worshiping on a mountain will give you the appearance of getting closer to God, because you're way up high on the mountain. Sacrificing on a mountain will give you worship experience with a scenic view. How about that? I like how people like those sunrise services on Easter. I never got into that, man. I'm telling you, I just never got into that. You go out to a sunrise service on Easter, everyone's sitting out there. The sound's not as good as it, as it would be in the church. You're cold because it's early on Easter morning. It's still between, uh, you know, winter and, and springtime. And uh, you can hear traffic going back and forth and birds or whatever out there. And, but you've got that beautiful sunrise service. Very dramatic. I went and preached. A, I was asked to preach a sunrise service one morning on Easter. I'm getting out there, and we're sitting in hard chairs outside in a church parking lot on the asphalt. The sound system wasn't working. You could hear the traffic and watch the cars drive by. And I'm sitting there thinking, there's a perfectly good sanctuary right behind us. We could sit on padded pews, have a good, you know, air-conditioned, heated place. What are we doing out here? Because the sunrise was coming up. Well, they were up there on that mountain. They could see that beautiful view, that scenic view of the mountain. It just seemed so picturesque, so wonderful. At church on the mountain, you can have your worship experience with a scenic overview. Worshiping on a mountain is the sensationalism of religion without the sanctification of redemption. You got that? No mercy seat on the mountain. No God on the mountain. He's back there in the temple. He's doing it according to the pattern God showed Moses in the mount, on Mount Sinai. These people are not going according to that pattern. They're up on the mountain. They're having a sensational religious experience. Sensationalism of religion without the sanctification of redemption. Church on the mountain has more members today, I believe, than perhaps ever before. Here's a kingdom truth. When you experience praise and worship, apart from truth and repentance, you are attending church on the mountain. Repeat that again. When you are experiencing praise and worship, apart from truth and repentance, you are attending church on the mountain. When all the people raise their hands, I like those billboards, the, the, the people uh, going to church and they'll say, you belong here, or this church is for you, or whatever, and it has their picture of their service, and you'll see someone going, or like that right there. That's sensationalism. That's all that is. When all the people raise their hands, when the band is loud, when the lights are colorful, and when the preaching is not too preachy, the music is inspiring, but the deep doctrines of God's Word centered in the finished work of Jesus Christ are not center stage. 
you are attending church on the mountain. And everyone's hands are lifted up, but the saints aren't being built up in the knowledge of God's word. You are attending church on the mountain. But not only did they worship on the hills, God said they also worship, look back in your text, under oaks and poplars and elms. Y'all folks are familiar with those, aren't you? They were worshiping on the mountains and under the trees. You see that? Having their services under the oak, poplar, and elm trees. The only worship service God ordained on a mountain was at Mount Sinai when God gave the Ten Commandments. And even then, the people were forbidden to go up the mountain. You see that? They couldn't even touch the mountain. So going up the mountain had nothing to do with the Bible. And going under the trees had nothing to do with the Bible. It was not according to the pattern God showed Moses in the mount, in Mount Sinai. Here's a kingdom truth. Anytime you add to God's Word, you take away from it. Anytime you add to God's Word, you take away from it. They added the scenic mountains, and they lost the sovereign God. They added the shade trees, and they lost the shadow of the Most High. God said, you are under these trees. Why were they under the trees? Look back in your text. Because the shadow thereof is good. The Hebrew word translated shadow here, it simply means shade. So here you have basically the two denominations. Two denominations. Church on the mountain and church in the shade. Church on the mountain and church in the shade. Church on the mountain was sensational. Church in the shade was comfortable. God said you worship there because their shade is good. Church on the mountain is exciting. Church in the shade is relaxing. At Church in the Shade, you can have all the fun you want to. One of our church members last week shared an advertisement from Church on the Rock in a town nearby. I believe it was Terrell, Texas. And at Church on the Rock, they were inviting people to come to their church for Palm Sunday. You know what Palm Sunday is? Palm Sunday is when they took the palm branches and they laid them down for the triumphal entry of Jesus. Hosanna, blessed be he that comes in the name of the Lord. They're fulfilling prophecy. And Jesus is riding in on on that donkey. And they're inviting people to come to the church for Palm Sunday where they would, quote, have fun for the whole family. Fun for the whole family. They said they were going to have thousands of of Easter eggs and prizes. And you could even have your photo taken with the Easter bunny. In fact, one of the largest photos on that flyer appeared to be the pastor himself, all distinguished when gray-haired looking, standing beside that ungodly rabbit that always seems to steal the spotlight from Christ. Let me ask you a question. 
Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday service. What do eggs, prizes, pictures, fun, and rabbits have to do with Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem on that donkey and his uh, subsequent death and resurrection from the dead on Easter morning? The answer is absolutely nothing. Let me ask you another question. Do you know what they advertised for their Palm Sunday service that was actually in the Bible for Palm Sunday for the upcoming Easter? Do you know what they advertised on that flyer that was actually in God's Word? Absolutely nothing. It was all bunny, eggs, prizes, and fun. They added to God's Word. And they lost God's Son. Just like in Hosea here. Just like church on the mountain. Just like church in the shade. You know what that was? Church on the rock was looking more like church in the shade. That's what it was. The rock wasn't even mentioned in the flyer. Look back in your text. Therefore, God said, your daughters shall commit whoredom. You can expect your children to follow you and your poor example that you've set for them. Your daughters will commit whoredom. You robbed them of God's truth. You took them up church on the mountain. You, you brought them to church under the shade, in the shade. And in doing so, you got them religious, but you kept them steeped in the ignorance of religion. You robbed them of God's truth, and now they'll follow the devil's lies. Look back in your text. And your spouses shall commit adultery. They'll continue their departure from God's word. However, God said, look in verse 14, I will not punish your daughters when they commit whoredom, nor your spouses when they commit adultery. That's kind of a a strange thing to say, isn't it? Underscore in your Bible, I will not punish. That seems so different for God, doesn't it? I will not punish. And maybe you think, well, hey, that's God's mercy. God loves them. And even though they're doing wrong, He's not going to punish them. No, church, that's not what God's saying. What God is telling Israel is the place you never want to be in. This is the place you never want your church to be in. You never want your nation to be in. This is the church you never want to be in as an individual. This is a place you don't want to be in as an individual. Don't make a mistake what God is saying here. God is not saying that He's just going to let them get away with their sin by saying, I'm not going to punish them. He's saying they will continue to rebel against me but I will no longer continue to pursue after them. Do you see what's happening? Your daughters will continue to rebel against me. And in the past, what has God done? He sent prophets to them. Every time you see a prophet coming from God and telling the people to repent, God's going to do this, God's going to do the other. You better be careful. You better turn back to God. Every time you see a prophet doing that, that is God in that person reaching out to those people saying, Folks, come back to me. 
What what you're doing is going to hurt you. And if you continue to do what you know God's told you not to do, you continue to rebel when God's been pursuing you, God's been tapping at your heart's door, God's been talking to you through the preacher's voice of His Word, and you know what you're doing is wrong, the decisions you've been making are wrong, and you continue to do them, God says, okay, you'll continue to go. I will no longer continue to come after you and bring you back. I'm just going to let you go. Just like in the book of Romans, God gave them up to a reprobate mind. God gave them over. That's what God is warning here. It it would be better for God to... uh, to punish you, to chastise you, than to let you go. He's saying, I've stretched out my hand to bring them back to me and to save them from their sins. But not this time. This time I'm going to let them go away from me. And I won't stop them from leaving. Did you know God will do that with you? Now, if you're a child of God, if you're born again by faith in Jesus Christ, it doesn't mean that you're going to go to hell. But it doesn't mean if you continue that way, God will cut you loose. And you will get exactly what you have coming to you. I thank God He's been merciful to me in the past. In things that I would have done, God stepped in and I didn't do. I thank God for that. But you persist and God will quit. That's what will happen. He says, look back. In your text, he says, for themselves are separated with whores. And they've given themselves over to harlotry. They've made their decision. This is what they've determined to do. Look back in your text. And they sacrifice with harlots. They've made the decision to part from the God who made them. The God who loves them. Now, in this particular case, these people are not believers. They are not Christians. We're talking about a God speaking to a nation. I heard a statistic last night. Back in the late 90s, I think it was 1998, they did a poll. Asked people how many people thought that faith in God was important for America. And the majority of people said yes. It is important. That was the late 90s. And they recently did another poll with the same question. Only 30-something percent. 30-something percent of Americans said, yes, it's important. 30-something percent. That's a nation saying, no, no thanks. We'll go away from God. And preachers have preached. Christians have stood and witnessed, and the nation, in the face of all that, has said, no thanks, we'll go whoring after false gods. We'll go whoring after our own beliefs. We'll worship on the mountains and under the shade. No thank you for all that other stuff. The Bible's too preachy. Christians are too strict. Or the idea of God is too fantastic and boring for me. We'll go away. And so the nation makes the decision to depart from the God who made them. To depart from the God who loved them. It's their decision and God says, I will not stand in their way from departing from me. 
Church, God is so patient and kind to us. He's been so patient and kind to the United States. But once a nation or a person has made up their mind to depart from God, God will let them depart. One day, I was with a group of law enforcement officers. We were looking for stolen vehicles out near Chandler. They had a bunch of them too. We were looking for stolen vehicles out near Chandler. And like a lot of these salvage yards, they had pit bull dogs with a stake on the ground and a chain. That pit bull dog was there. And uh, all these officers come up there and that, we didn't know that bulldog was there. And that bulldog started taking off after those officers and hit the chain like that. And those officers were glad to be on the other side of that chain. But what they did when that dog started coming, that dog hit that chain, you know what he did? He just backed right back up and took another run, boom, hit that chain again. And so those officers either took out a pistol or pepper spray, whatever they decided was best at the time, and they were ready to unload on that dog. And here that dog come back again. He wasn't giving up. He reminded me, Brother Shepherd, of you know how there'll be a man wanting to fight another man. There's his wife there saying, no, honey, don't, don't, you know. And then she's keeping him back. And he's like, if it wasn't for her, I'd get you, you know. <laughs> Finally, that dog took another run. That dog ran with all of his heart. And boom, broke loose from that chain. When he broke loose from that chain, he realized he was loose from that chain. He looked at those men, and those men were drawn down on him. He looked at those guns. He probably didn't know what they were. He knew it was something. And he realized, I'm not on the chain anymore. And he goes, he ducked his head, and he went back like that right there. <laughs> He's scared to death of those men. But it was, it was his way of saying, if it wasn't for this chain, I'd get you. I'd get you. And when he got loose from that chain, he realized, I got more than what I bargained for. I kept running up against that chain. And the chain that always kept me at a safe distance from the danger in front of me. Finally, after I persisted, it let me go. It let me go. And had he continued, that dog would either had a face full of pepper or a body full of lead or both. And... Church, that's what God's saying. All these years, His Word has been drawing us back and holding on to us. And we've kept ramming against it and ramming against it and ramming against it until where finally God says, Okay, go. And the sad thing is, that dog has more sense than our country. The dog at least realized I don't want not part of this. Our country's broke loose from that, train, tra that uh, chain, and they're heading headlong to destruction. Israel was bound and determined to leave their God. The loving God that once kept them from going too far was about to turn them loose from the divine stake in their ground. And they would fall in their sin. God said, they are given over to whoredoms. Look back in your text. Therefore, the people that doth not understand shall fall. They don't know what they're doing. They don't realize what's happening to them. <clears throat> Why? Because of the wine. Because they were intoxicated. We've all 
most of us anyway, have seen and dealt with drunk people. I've dealt with a bunch of drunk people. So has Brother Shepherd. Some of y'all have dealt with drunk people in your family or whatever. And when you're drunk, the first thing to go is your judgment. And you make stupid decisions. And the next day you try to say, well, I was drunk. You try to say, well, you know, I was drunk. You know, and try to excuse yourself for them. They were intoxicated with the thinking of this world around them. And it caused them to not understand the truth. It caused them to walk in darkness. And God said, the people, because they kept running up against that chain, they finally broke loose. I've turned them loose. And so the people that do not understand, that do not have my light, that have rejected my truth, and they're intoxicated by the thinking of this world, they will fall. They weren't falling because of their ignorance of God, but because of their insolence toward Him. Their sin had blinded their eyes, and the God who kept them from falling in the ditch would hold their hand no more. Don't make the mistake, America, of going to a church that's exciting or that fits your lifestyle. Go to a church that goes to the Scriptures about everything. Don't go to a church that adds to God's Word, for you will lose every time. With that, we'll go ahead and, and stop. And I believe, after reading this today, as you start seeing the direction a lot of our churches are going, you'll understand why America is going the direction it's going. The nation of Israel went their way from God because of the church on the mountain and the church in the shade. Because the priests quit preaching the truth. God's Word took a back seat. And God's people took a fall. Father, we thank You for Your precious Word this morning. Oh Lord, we're so grateful for Your Word. We're so grateful, Father, that it holds us in place when we follow it. When we walk in its light, it keeps us near you. It keeps us going the wise and safe direction, the, 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 the roadway, as the book of Proverbs puts it, that you've set for us to travel. God, we don't want the church on the mountain. We don't want the church in the shade. Father, we want the church in the light. We want to walk therein all the way. In Jesus' precious name we pray, Lord. God, grant repentance to our nation. Give our pastors, Lord's, uh, Lord, a great revival in their hearts. And wean them and draw them back, Father, from the, the foolishness of this world and the strategies of this world. And get back to the preaching of God's Word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.